right, welcome back to episode five of The Click. Myself, Chris Rupp, and my co-host, uh, Elena Corsini. Here we are. I am back in our podcast studio here. Um, so we're, we're coming at you with another new format with <laughs> Elena dialed in here on the phone. So I think we've got all the all the kinks worked out, and uh, I think I think we're going to be uh, set for a good show here. So, uh, Elena, I'm going to pass it over to you to uh, kick us off with the news headlines for episode five, and then we're going to go into some uh, social influencing today and also mm-hmm. some uh, uh, five tips for marketing uh, through COVID as well. So I'm excited about this one. Let's get this thing rolling with our first headline. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're back with Facebook um, and Facebook's effort to combat the coronavirus. And with this one, um, they're actually coming out with messages to help determine any misinformation. So they've already kind of done this, um, but this I thought was really interesting because it's going to appear in users' news feed. So they will be automatically directed to official, credible information from the World Health Organization. Um, so all these warnings are going to appear for anyone who liked, watched, commented, or shared, and they'll get an email, like I said, um, an in-app notification. So I thought this was really interesting, um, really cool, and it's just Everything to add validity to what Facebook is doing, but they're taking it another step forward um, to really let people know that they are subject to this misinformation. And when they do comment on something or like it or share it, that they are alerted um, that this information is false. So far, uh, Facebook has said that it's directed 2 billion people on its main social networking sites and Instagram. Um, to the portal, and more than 350 million people have clicked through. So I think that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty good um, CPR as well. So did, did I read that right that too? People that, are interested. Did I read that right too? That they're going backwards too on like old posts and and yeah. alerting people from any old information that they liked or posted or shared. Yeah. Yep. They're really, um, especially just with everything that goes around on Facebook, not just the mistrust that consumers have in the information on there. They're really trying and um, just the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, has come out and just really just pushed this and coming out and making sure that Facebook is a credible source of information. And going back, I think, just going back on those previous posts too, it really, I mean, out of sight, out of mind for some people, but they're going to come back and say, nope, this is false. That's right. I think it's, I think it's good that they're doing that. There's, there's so much information out there. We touched on this in our last episode. Uh, it's it's very difficult for anybody to determine what's real, what's not real. You know how true is something, how false is something. But uh, I think it's Facebook has uh, the responsibility to figure out how much of a role do they play in determining the truth as well in this. So I have a yeah. little bit mixed opinions on it. I think the I think the initiative is really good what they're trying to do. And it's it's the onus is on them to make sure that uh if if anything is eligible for, you know, a biased opinion of of anything and I think so much of this this covid thing has ridiculously gotten out of hand with opinions in mm-hmm. and really taking now political sides of things. It's 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 gone too far in my opinion, but I think just it's really good that Facebook's doing this. They and hopefully they will continue to make sure that it's really an unbiased approach moving forward. 
So, yeah, absolutely. And, like, for years, I feel like regulators have just really called upon Facebook um, to make a more decisive action. And they have previously, but I think they've, they've just taken some really great initiatives um, to really chart a new course with the coronavirus. Definitely. What else is Google doing yeah. uh, within uh, Ads Manager? Um, so going into Google now, uh, Google also is supporting um, – these release and they are enabling fee release on Google Ads to support news partners. Um, so they are waiving ad serving fees to news publishers globally on Ad Manager for five months. And so I thought that was crazy. That's completely waiving all fees for five months. Um, and it really just is a great source for news outlets to get out there, engage with their customers, and get the news out there in a timely fashion and in a way that works. Right, and that really allows them to provide some immediate financial support to those news organizations without having to go through any kind of grant process or, or ad credits, whatever it may be. So that's a quick and easy way for them to, again, provide instant financial relief uh, for those organizations. I think it's good. Yeah, and they're just aim- really aiming to help um, these news organizations, and it does reduce some of the costs. Um, of managing their businesses, especially some of them had to decrease their marketing a little bit um, and funding. And especially journalism is one of the core, I mean, aspects of our society. So I do think it's really important. And um, Google, even within Ads Manager as well, um, they came out. So last month, we had mentioned in previous episodes that they announced that they would be donating um, $340 million in ad credit to the small and medium-sized businesses. So this is um, apart from the two partners, but these are just all small and medium businesses. Um, so they originally came out with this, and then at the start of this week, they clarified the eligibility criteria um, around these ad credits. So at first, they had said that all small and medium-sized businesses would be eligible if they were active advertisers since um, January 1st, 2019, and that they to the Google ad policy. Um, and now the credits apply to the small, medium-sized businesses globally who have spent 10 out of 12 months in 2019 and either in January or February of 2020. So they're kind of just narrowing it down just a little bit. Um, sure. It was there needed. Also- there, there were so many questions around this. So um, it's <laughs> I think everybody's kind of anxious to get some information out, some further details on this. Yeah, absolutely. And initially, it kind of seemed like it would happen quick. Um, it has verified as well that it's set to hit eligible accounts and phases beginning of late May. Um, so it's really what I would like reading more into it. Really what Google wants to do is provide advertising throughout the rest of the year. Um, so provide these credits that people can use, not the most even right now, but later in the year when they might need it, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yep. And but it's... like I said, all customers. It's an ad credit. No, it's all right. It's it's an ad credit, so it will not be applied to build or invoice, you know, past or current uh, Google Ads spends. They say that these ad credits will be um, applicable across the Google Ads platform, including search, display, YouTube, um, as well as all campaign types. So it's good to see that they're not limiting limiting it to uh, certain ad types. Yeah, and one, like you said, one ad credit is for customers, but it's they're managing their partner or marketing agency, um, they will receive multiple ad credits per account. Right. And I, I think you you just mentioned it, uh, but this is starting in late May. They're going to begin rolling mm-hmm. out the ad credit 
uh, in phases. Over the following months, eligible customers will be notified and will see the ad credit applied in their Google Ads account. So keep an eye out for those guys. That's That stuff's coming. Uh, it's free money. So jump on it. Take yeah. advantage of it. But yeah, especially if you're one of those um, eligible accounts. Google's also um, going even further, and they're now offering um, free listings for Google Shopping, which I thought was great. It's this is really a cool. really um, big deal. I'm I uh, again. I actually posted this. I saw this come out yesterday. I posted about it um, on Instagram. I I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's been years that that has been a paid section. And very, yeah. you know, I shouldn't say difficult to get into, but it's not always the easiest thing to to work within um, integration wise. And then, of course, I mean, it, it costs money to be there. And if you look at the mm-hmm. amount of time uh, that people spend on Amazon, I, I think they're they're way behind on doing this. I'm, I'm glad that this kind of like pushed them into doing it. And I think they came out and said, and you'll probably get to it here in a second, but they, they came out and, and said, hey, this has been a part of our plans and everything with COVID right now just pushed us into doing it sooner. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think this is long overdue. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it. I, and I think a lot of small advertisers are going to be happy to see it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and Google's president of commerce, so this is a pretty interesting quote I pulled. Uh, he said for retailers, this change means free exposure to millions of people who come to Google every day for their shopping needs. For shoppers, it means more products for more stores, discoverable through the Google Shopping tab. For advertisers, it means paid campaigns can now be augmented with free listings. So that this is really interesting. It's really cool. Um, and just for, I mean, any e-commerce marketers, SEOs, the move adds like this whole new layer to an organic product search optimization effort. So really honing, honing in on this um, and utilizing this tool is going to be very important in the upcoming months. I think so too. So just to clarify, that means that paid shopping ads are still going to appear at the top and the bottom um, of of the shopping Mm -hmm. tab. The free listings will be powered by product data feeds uh, via Google Merchant Center. Um, And then I Mm -hmm. also saw that they they announced a new partnership with PayPal. So Mm -hmm. the initiative there is to really expedite the setup and and verification processes. We'll see how that actually plays out. But they also already partner with, you know, all the big e-com platforms, Shopify, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, uh, which allow you to manage inventory and products. So again, like I mentioned, I mean, all these smaller stores uh, that are trying to compete in this space and may already have a, product inventory set up on one of these platforms, it should be fairly easy to jump right in that. So when is that coming out? When's uh, that going to start? I believe they said next week is what they like. They kind of vaguely just mentioned. Was that a phase uh, rollout or was that just an instant? We're going to start seeing it. Um, I believe it's an instant. They came out with this on this past Tuesday. I think it's instant too. Um, I, I didn't see anything about yeah. a phased approach and, Honestly, yeah. I don't know how they would really do a phased approach with that. So, um, and that's exciting news yeah. for all all uh, smaller, aver- small and medium sized advertisers. That's that's big news. Yeah, and it's supposed to the change is supposed to take effect before the end of April, um, and exp- in the U.S. and then expand globally by the end of the year. So pretty, pretty cool. soon. So yep. it should be coming out next week. That's great. 
So moving forward um, into really uh, everything uh, we can't talk about it enough, just the the pandemic kind of what's what we're seeing right now and what does that look like in the future for uh, within the, the digital advertising space? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how that's kind of affecting sensitive ads and, and within marketing as a whole? Yeah, well, it totally changed the space. Um, we've talked about this really for weeks, just how this coronavirus has come the digital space, you're ready to weather the storm. Um, you're going to come out just better at the end. And so this article is really great, and it actually really validifies everything that we've been talking about uh, for the past couple of weeks and the pandemic's effect on marketing and how tech is really thriving right now. Um, people are just spending anything between three to seven hours on social media a day. Um, so this is just every day. People are online. People are on the digital space and they're looking, um, they're seeing ads, they're seeing, they're looking for content, they're searching, they're streaming. Um, and it's really just changed the game from here on out. I know you would say as well, we talked about grocery shopping and online shopping. Um, it's also totally changed the game in that aspect. And I also think that this will significantly change the market after. I think that e-commerce is going to become a huge I mean, tool that people are going to increasingly use more and more. And any business needs to be on the web. They need to be using digital ads. Um, and they need to be on social media as well. And it's really changing the buying landscape, too. And it's something that marketers really need to make sure that they're aware of. So um, in order to adapt to the new normal, 24% of people plan to delay large purchases. There's a lot of research that goes into mm-hmm. large purchases, right? I mean, you, you do a lot of organic research and, and making sure that you're you're buying something of quality and of value and who you're buying it from and whatnot. So some of that time has been deducted there. It's it's just kind of rethinking how uh, your resources are allocated. Um, you know, another one on here, 42% are planning to cook at home to save money over the next six months. So trying to think of all these different scenarios of how things have changed people's lifestyles and their habits and where they are and what they're doing yeah. and what they're eating and how they're eating and how they're purchasing it. All of that has been changed. And, you know, eventually we'll get back to kind of the, the way things used to be for the most part, I get, it's going to be a completely new normal, but for a while for this, until we even get to that point, there's going to be this phased uh, approach. That's just going to be very, very gradual of going kind of back, not backwards, but a little bit towards how we used to do things. So this isn't just a, Hey, adapt to this now while everybody's kind of in quarantine and then it's going to be over and we can go back to our old ways. I think it's really important for uh, marketers and advertisers to understand that there is a new normal of how people, their habits and their lifestyles and how they go about doing everyday things. So trying to relate that into being resourceful, uh, with the types of content that you're pushing out and thinking about how people are, are utilizing your products or services in different ways and how can you adapt mm-hmm. to that? How can you adapt your website to make sure that it's aligned with these new lifestyles and how can you uh, do the same thing with your advertising? Yeah, absolutely. I cannot agree more. And it says, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's what you said as well. It is going to change. Um, and I think, like you said, right after the crisis, I think we're going to slowly adapt to this new normal. But I kind of think, I don't want to say forever, but I think online 
this digital space um, and this kind of at-home tech virtual meeting thing, I don't think it's going away. Um, like I said, I think I said this last week, um, I, I've talked to my family more than I have. Now I live out of state with them, but I've talked to them more in the last three weeks than I have in the last three years. Um, and it's really because of this and because we're on digital, because we have Zoom now, um, because of all these different components. And I really do think that marketers, like you just said, have to adapt to this. They have to recognize it. Um, these free virtual services, I think, are also just a great tool that any service-based business can use um, to be able to, I mean, people are buying these Zoom classes as well. So being able to offer that, as well as your get classes or like yoga and Google instructors, anything like that. So I really do think it's just going to change the game and the adaptability of marketers is going to determine whether or not these businesses are successful. Have you uh, used the app House Party? Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not actually. So See, down- I just use Zoom. We just all go on Zoom. <laughs> House Party is really cool. And I've had it on my phone for years now. My family's used it because when you when you open it, it says you're in the house. So anybody that you're friends with, which you kind of got to be careful about with who your friends on it, they'll all get a notification. It'll say, Hey, Chris Rupp's in the house. And then if you click it, it opens up your house party app and then you can join each other. And it just kind of like makes a room within the house that you can just join people for uh, FaceTime. So it's pretty cool. I did that a couple nights ago uh, for my dad's birthday actually. And the only one limitation of it, and they're probably working on it. I, I didn't look at it, but they're probably working on a paid version to expand this. But they have a limit of eight people that can be in the house at once. Uh, so it's, but anyways, uh, it's, it's really cool to just, you know, to see these new things. And I know that they've had millions of new downloads since all of this has happened. But you're exactly right. At, you know, this, we're going to continue to see this, this virtual, this new virtual reality uh, to be our new reality. That, that's that's where things are uh, and and we're gonna yes that will pull back some as people just need to see people face to face which is is going to be a new normal too but you know it that, it's not going away anytime soon mm-hmm. yeah and I think addressing this um, and we've mentioned before brands need to address it um, their current situation in their ads uh, and just don't 35% of people are closely seeing ads. Um, 68% find it helpful when ads spend the world of the current scenario. So people want to see brands addressing this. People want to see brands coming out with statements, with, um, I mean, offers, with any type of just message that they are being transparent, that they are with their customers and that they are here for them. Uh, 63% understand and agree that companies serving these ads have good intentions at their heart, which I thought that is like one of the most interesting statistics to me because we all know what ads are. Ads are to make, I mean, to make a business money at the end of the day. Um, And people know that. People know that when they see that. But for 62% to understand that when they see a, I mean, an ad that addresses COVID or coronavirus or thanks um, healthcare workers or sanitary workers, you know, that they understand that they really are, I mean, functioning from a different level, from the level of empathy, I think is really, really interesting. And we'll talk about this later um, as well with social influencing. But just, I mean, it's just indescribable that people really are, and they're willing to admit that and say, you know, nope, I, I 
are operating. They're letting their employees work from home. They're doing this. They're taking these actions. So I think it's pretty important to recognize. Yeah, I do too. And this global web index research that shows globally people are most uh, in favor of brands responding to this outbreak with flexible payment terms, 83%, offering free services, 81%, closing non-essential stores, 79%, helping to produce essential supplies, 67%. Uh, all of these scored significantly more than the 30% of people who think they should carry on advertising as normal. So I don't know who those 37% are, but uh, I I wish I did so that I can call you out because wh- I, I don't know. I don't get it. Well, I mean, what are we doing? We can't be doing the same thing. And, and uh, hopefully anybody that's with an agency or anybody that, that utilizes advertising marketing help that, you know, you're getting that help right now. You're not just... Uh, you know, sitting back and not hearing from your agency or whoever it may be that's handling your marketing and, and they're just not doing anything. That This is a new normal, yeah. right? And we have to adapt everything towards it. All of your advertising and marketing has to be updated uh, with this. So just know that, you know, think, uh, you know, re- reach out to somebody and, and just get a different opinion if, if you're not getting anything in terms of uh, changing your your overall marketing strategy right now. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. So we got uh, moving on to uh, we've got five really good uh, tips or so if you if you want to call them for marketing through COVID-19. What's the first one here? Um, This first one is present with. So what we just talked about, present with empathy and transparency. Um, So just kind of really people feel vulnerable right now um, and empathy is critical. So just waving, um, like your bank, waving overdraft fees, recognizing any hardships that customers are feeling right now. Yep. Yeah, I think that's great. And it, you're right. That's exactly what uh, what led us into that. So that, that was perfect. Two, uh, <laughs> use media in more agile ways. So uh, quickly pivoting creative messages as circumstances change. Marketers will want to build more rapid response operating models internally and with agencies. So... Um, you know, making sure that we're delivering the right messages on, on the right media is critical right now. Think about the amount of eyes that are on mobile. Uh, the YouTube usage is, is up tremendously, uh, which mm-hmm. today, by the way, is uh, YouTube's 15th birthday. Uh, for those of, oh, that didn't know, that, 15, <laughs> 15 years ago today, we had uh, the very first ever YouTube video of one of the co-founders, uh, Jawad Kareem. Uh, at the San Diego Zoo, me me entitled me at the zoo. Uh, it's a uh, really really riveting stuff if you haven't seen it, and I say that with extreme sarcasm. Um, <laughs> but it's it's entertaining. Go check it out. Today's their uh, 15 year anniversary. 15 years ago that the that video was uploaded. If you haven't seen it, just just go watch it. Sorry, yeah, sorry to get off track there. That's but, awesome. Yep, yep. Back to uh, number three. What do we have? <laughs> Associate your brand with good. Um, so people really remember brands for their acts of good, um, especially in a time of crisis, particularly if it's done with true heart and generosity. So just what we were um, just talking about. And if people are really understanding that now, they're seeing ads and they're seeing these messages as real messages of communication rather than just the selling point. Um, now is the time to really associate your brand with what you do best and what um, if you contribute to any foundations, do any volunteer work, anything like that. 
um, just really communicating that with your consumers and letting you know, letting them know um, any efforts you're taking during this time. Definitely. Number four, track trends and build scenarios. This goes into a little bit about what we talked last week with social listening. So this was really just frequent tracking of human behavioral trends that will help marketers gain better insights in real time. So again, listening, what is happening? What is, what is, how do you, how can you measure the the sentiment and consumption on a regular basis to better adapt your messaging? And that's what mm-hmm. we went in depth with uh, last week for social media, the, the social listening of uh, the, the four main social media marketing points. So right now that that's critical. You, you have to be closely observing the conversations that are happening right now so that you can be mm-hmm. as relevant as you can and, and move quickly, identify areas that uh, you can you can insert yourself in, into a positive a positive way for your brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think this one, number four, try, I mean, track trends and build scenarios going into number five as well, adapt to new ways of working to keep delivering. I think these are two of the most important ones um, to track trends, realize what's happening, social um, listening, understand what's happening from your consumers, and then adapt to what they need. Um, transition to remote working arrangements, uh, collaboration technology, file sharing, feeding capabilities, virtual um, virtual happy hours, things like that, anything to build new team morale. Uh, it's just a completely new world that we're going to be living in uh, right now, and it's going to continuously change. So being able to track those trends and then adapt to it is crucial. That's right. So let's jump right into uh, what we started last week, this kind of four-part uh, series on social media marketing. We talked about social listening, monitoring and mm-hmm. responding to just overall customer service, reputation management issues on the web, and that's really the high level of it outside of during the time of, of a crisis. But what we just talked about, making sure that you do that in these times so that you can be relevant with your messaging is critical. So mm-hmm. this week, part two, we're going to talk about social influencing, building influence on social media channels. And so uh, social influencing is the act of having social authority or the ability to engage and influence certain sections of social networks. So um, social authority is a measure of the social media engagement that an individual or brand can drive by sharing content on their social accounts. It's really important yeah. to understand the differences between all of these. So I'll, I, I'll identify all four parts here, make sure that everybody understands. So part one, which we went over last week, social listening. Part two, which we're talking about today, social influencing. Part three, social networking. And part four, social selling. And diving into the influencing uh, piece here. In a study conducted by Stone Temple analyzing almost 2 million tweets, it was discovered that social authority strongly correlates with the effectiveness of engagement tactics deployed by an account. With the power to engage, you can build your own brand and business or help other brands build theirs as influencers. Now, talk about um, just being proficient in this, Elena. Yeah, so this is really important. Um, and I think it's also important to understand as well that it's not, we're not talking about becoming one of these mega follower influencers, um, which would be great. We want as many followers. I mean, um, we want people engaged. But it's also just acting as 
being terrific and following experts in your field, um, using their content to update your own technical knowledge. Um, based things off case studies, insights, um, and then really learn what you need to establish your profile. So just make sure that your um, social media influence, that your brand is out there as a proficient, as a credible source. Yep. And so breaking down, breaking this down, social influencing into these five different parts, uh, Lena just touched on being proficient with it. Uh, the second part of that content curation, I want to strive to act as a trusted neutral source for information yeah. in, in a particular niche, uh, share important industry developments, discoveries, and great content created by other sources as well, showing their audiences that they care about them and not just selling their business. So that content creation is curation uh, is, is critical to making sure that, that you're building influence here and the, what you're sharing, what you're curating with all of that content and then resharing to your following that it has to really follow your overall strategy of what you're trying to achieve. Um, so vetting all of those, making sure that you're not just, you know, doing a quick Google and grabbing a post, you're not even reading about it, but you know, the headline looked right and then you go and share it make sure that you, you vet what you're sharing and you're going through to make sure that it aligns with your overall brand, of course, but your social strategy as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And engaging um, further on that too, engaging with the bands, the brands, excuse me, the brands of the businesses that uh, you're reposting, commenting on those, liking those posts as well. Uh, so going into that third one, presentation. So just making sure that the overall look, uh, look at your post like a copywriter or a graphic designer um, and will develop your authority, that will benefit um, and develop your authority. Not every business is going to be the same. Um, this is going to be a little bit different for everyone and just create shareworthy presentation um, ideas that are directly linked to your brand and the message that you want to portray to your consumers. That's right. And persuasion is a big one here, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to build influence uh, with this. So persuasion requires certain verbal skills, understanding of human psychology to an extent. You must also, you must also need to know that your audience very well back to the social listening side of this. So to persuade someone, you first need to know what makes them tick, right? What are they looking for? What's going to make that trigger uh, to take an action? So most social networks, Google, and analytic tools you give uh, access, they give you access to audience insights. So there's a lot to build off of here from if you're not able to kind of build this uh, model around how you're going to persuade somebody by from your social listening, there are so many tools out there that you can really try to build a profile or a persona per se of how you're going to approach your strategy to persuade somebody. So like obviously within Google Analytics from, from your website, you can gauge all kinds of different things from interests and purchase behaviors and uh, demographics. So, uh, you know, curating that content to make sure that uh, you're utilizing it to the proper audience in order to persuade them is critical for making that happen. So use that knowledge to improve your communication with your audience. Personalization is also an important part of persuasion. If it's not personalized to the audience that you're talking to and who you're trying to reach, it's not going to connect with them. It's not going to sit yeah, and, and resonate for them to take a further action. Absolutely. And further for the last one, um, 
having a distinguished presence. So this really wraps up all of them. Um, establish a standout personality online for your brand. Um, every brand that really enacts social influencing has a distinguished personality, something that you kind of expect them to do particularly well. Um, so this could be a particular service or a particular, I mean, just engaging on social media. Um, it could be really anything that your brand is just exceptional at. Uh, what does your brand do better than else? Focus on that and let it shine through your posts. Um, to find your identity and consistently display it through your conversations on social. So even further, too, with this distinguished presence, uh, influencer marketing has been really important uh, in the last few years. And for social influence marketing, also known as like influencer marketing, is a kind of pretty new form of marketing that utilizes the social influence of certain individuals. So this is typically if you see a celebrity or a blogger or a thought leader uh, in politicians, they'll really use their social media platform to impact consumer behavior. So this is another kind of little tip trick um, on social influencing that having these bloggers, having these social media marketers, social media influencers, excuse me, working with your brand really establishes a distinguished presence and makes you stand out amongst other businesses. Right, right. So consumers are shifting not only purchase patterns, but altering the process of consideration and reshaping the perceptions of particular brands. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, influence that, uh, that goes on there. So that's, uh, that's our social influencing for you. So again, this was part two. Um, so we've got social listening, social influencing, social network and social selling. So social influencing, again, establishing authority, on the social web, often through the distribution and sharing of valuable content. So we broke that down for you today. Next week, we're going to focus on social networking, finding and associating with authoritative and influential individuals and and brands on uh, the social web, which uh, Elena just touched on a little bit. So we'll do a deeper dive into that one next week. um, And we'll have more headlines for you. Maybe we'll both be back in here in the studio. We'll see. We'll see how the yeah, next week hopefully. or so goes. Maybe we'll be looking at each other face to face and beginning to, <laughs> you know, another step towards uh, trying to normalize here again. So uh, we appreciate everyone uh, sticking with us and, and listening, tuning in uh, YouTube and all the major uh, podcast platforms. So thank you for joining us. I'm Chris Rupp, my co-host, Elena Corsini. This was episode five. We'll see you next week.